Well, <laughs> okay. Let's wow, try. right on the first <laughs> syllable. I, I, I thought and said two different things. So here we go. <laughs> That's the earliest I ever failed in a podcast. <laughs> Oh, this is so boring. What else is on? Hi, everyone. Welcome to Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, a Patreon-exclusive podcast for geeky girl experience. I'm Hope Mullinex, and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch all my favorite animated shows. In this episode... Dipper and Mabel discover their seemingly uh, cherubic new neighbor, Gideon, happens to be the town's adored sidekick. But when Gideon convinces Mabel to go on a date with him, she soon learns that his cuteness can fade all too quickly. We're talking about Gravity Falls, the hand that rocks Mabel this week. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, too. You know, we've been in Clone Wars hell, which has been great. Hell for you, it's heaven for me. I'm lapping it it's, up with a spoon. It's it's heaven for me, but feel city, man. Feel city. <laughs> I like the dark atmosphere of episode three, and this these last episodes are steeped in it, so I will say that like this was I was excited for you to watch this episode of Gravity Falls, because to me this is where Gravity Falls goes from good to great. And it definitely takes a step up in this episode, and I was like, yes, this is what I've been waiting for. I agree. What were, what were your general thoughts about the episode? I liked it. I, I was trying to figure out what it was about the show that distinguished it from the other shows to you, because I knew you were like really liked this show and were like, this is where it takes a turn. Because I was like, so far, it's sort of like the other shows in, in the way it's constructed. But it wasn't until the very end, and then I'm like, oh, okay, it's here we go, yeah. And and I will let you know that Gideon's an ongoing antagonist. Like, he, this isn't, like, his only episode. Like, he's he's ongoing as, like, a, a I've, recurring I've character. I've got that in my predictions. So, I mean, so this was a, a big setup episode introducing um, one of the main antagonists of the series. Of course, there's the reveal that he has journal number two at the end of the episode, and, and to me, like, Gravity Falls is not Steven Universe. Steven Universe is actively trying to be, like, groundbreaking and proactive in, like, many different ways in every single episode. And Gravity Falls is proactive. Uh, progressive is the word I meant to say. Gravity Falls is progressive in a different way. Like, they push the boundaries of horror, and they, they kind of teeter on this kind of, like, slightly more turbed content. But this is one of, to me, like one of the most progressive episodes of Gravity Falls, mostly dealing with Gideon and the whole nice guy persona, which I have plenty of notes about. And this is like one of the times where they do it really, really well. And so I, I'm still like, I'm not, I can't believe this came out in 2012 and has done so well. <laughs> well, they, they not only take the, 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 the nice guy aspect of it, but they, you know, I mean, this is also a kid show and it also has the, like, it's not hit home with a hammer, but there's a little lesson a, a week or not even a lesson, but just sort of a, a little example of like family or life dynamics. And this one sort of covers uh, a Simpsons episode famously did it too. The, the unrequited crush mm-hmm. and how to deal with an unrequited crush. But 
it yeah it adds a layer of complexity because it, it could be just about like a show about how you let somebody down easily yeah it has an well we'll get into that late when we get into the show that that's well, more that's more for the like show notes type thing but yeah well you ready to get into it i am all right <clears throat> The Hand That Rocks the Mabel is the fourth episode of Gravity Falls, and it aired on July 6, 2012. It was written by Alex Hirsch and Zach Pies, and it was directed by John Aoshima. And I realized I should be putting the storyboard artists in this as well. So the storyboard artists for this episode were Matt Bradley, Luke Brookshire, and Alonzo Ramirez-Ramos. Some extra information for you. I'm going to butcher this name, I'm sorry. Gideon Gleeful is voiced by Therope Van Orman. I think it's Therope. Von Orman's other works include voicing Flapjack in the mis- in the marvelous misadventures of Flapjack, which he was also the creator and writer for. This was also the show where Alex Hirsch got his start. Van Orman also wrote for Adventure Time and Sanjay and Craig, where he also lent his voice talents. Bud Gleeful is voiced by Stephen Root. His other works include Office Space, Dodgeball, Barry, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and one of my favorite shows of all time, King of the Hill, where he voiced Bill Dotrieve. This episode is oh, titled... Oh, that was a great voice. I know, the moment, like, as soon as I realized it was Stephen Root, and I heard, and I was rewatching the episode, because I, I did the background information first, and then I watched the episode, and then I was like, yep, that's Bill Dotrieve. Is that, is that the guy, is that, is that, um, Gideon's, Gideon's father? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes sense now. Yeah, the moment I heard it, I was like, I can't unhear, I can't unhear Bill Dotrieve from this character. <laughs> The episode title is based on the idiom, The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. The list of guys that Wendy broke up with is is inspired by boys that Alex Hirsch's sister Ariel had, had crushes on while growing up. The club club that Dipper goes to to break up with Gideon for Mabel is a reference to the Red Room and the black and white lodge from the TV series Twin Peaks. There's yep, and that, Peaks. That, knocks, that knocks one of my uh, notes out. And I told you also... <laughs> it also it also knocks one of my uh, predictions out. <laughs> yeah, I did let you know that uh, Twin Peaks reference was coming, so you knew it was coming. Yeah, but I'm I'm, I'm saying I'm saying I predicted that though. I yeah, predicted, I predicted it. That's one for me. One. You win one. Yay! One, one point for Chris. And finally, in the commercial for Gideon's Tent of Telepathy, a disclaimer can be seen scrolling over the screen. The disclaimer, which I wanted to read because it's very funny says, void where prohibited, no COD is accepted. The letter P in the word psychic psychic is silent and used for entertainment purposes only. If unsatisfied, please return unused portions for a full refund. Side effects may include, but are not limited to, prosperity, wads of cash, fun at parties, tight pants, 6.2% APR, no money down, Psychic readings may cause a warming sensation in the abdomen. If pain persists, consult your uh, physicist. Is that physicist? It is physicist. Not the word I was expecting. Consult your physicist immediately. Carla, I've always loved you, but I never had the guts to say it. <laughs> so, let's open this with Chris. What was your favorite part of the episode? Of course, the the Twin Peaks lobby. Since I'm a huge Twin Peaks fan, it's always good to see a midget in a Twin Twin Peaks set, which is you know also I don't you you probably haven't watched Twin Peaks, but in that setting in Twin Peaks, there was a little midget guy in a suit who talked backwards, or he didn't talk backwards, but it sounded like backwards, but it was forwards. But 
it was just it was just cool to see a midget in the in the Twin Peaks set. Gideon is sort of a combination of a psychic, like a fake psychic, and a, like a charismatic a tent preacher. Oh my god, I definitely have a note about that because what? I've been to tent revivals like that in my lifetime. But because living in the South, I've been to one before, and I was like, "Yep, this well, is there what was, they're like." <laughs> there was a famous little kid preacher who used to. And I have a somebody sent me when I was in high school a postcard with a picture of him from his church. L- little, little Reverend Billy preaching today, and he had the say this exact same blue suit that that Gideon had, and the same sort of cherubic. He didn't have the hair, but he had the cherubic face. That hair was more like adult hair. But I'll bet you that they modeled Gideon after that kid because he was this like famous little kid preacher, and he was very like. You know, he had the little little chubby Campbell Soup Kid face, uh, cheekbones and stuff. I, I think they didn't want to go for, like, church revival because they just didn't want to tackle, you know, making someone religious be the ba- you know, bad guy or be a scammer or something. So they made him a psychic instead, which is also more in line with the, the show. The other thing I liked a lot was Horse Fist. Oh, Tiger Fist? Tiger Fist, that's it. <laughs> Tiger Fist, it reminds me that that's another thing that reminds me of Rick and Morty because Rick and Morty have a TV that watches TV sta- TV channels from other dimensions. Uh-huh. So it's all these bizarre shows that are kind of just like a collection of uh, just really weird things and non sequiturs and and Tiger Fist totally reminded me of that. There are so many in the show. I because. I, I, what I've been doing is I've been watching the episode for our for our sh- for our, our review on Tuesday, and then I'll watch the next episode, and then I'll rewatch the episode again when I do my notes the following week. And <laughs> there's one next week from like the black and white old lady channel that that Uncle Grunkle Stan is watching, and the the TV shows on this is my favorite. Like there's one it's like the uh, the attack of the planet people from planet planet, and it's just people with planet heads. <laughs> And it's it's all great. I love the television shows in the show. My two favorite parts of the episode, I actually had two. I love Gideon's song and dance number. I've been singing that song all day. Just, I can't see what others can't see. I've, I've just been singing it all day. But I also love when Dipper goes into Gideon's uh, family's factory and there's just all the stuff with his face on it. It reminded me so much of Spaceballs. And because like when when you see like the the get, little Gideon garden shears, and all I could hear was Mel Brooks just going product placement. And he's play, he's playing with his his you oh, know totally. his doll of himself, and although those those uh, lamb shears are not accurate looking are not accurate lamb lamb shearing scissors. Lamb shearing scissors are one one piece. They are one piece. Listen, I have a pair right here. Listen. Oh my god, you actually do. I do. Uh, do you, did you prepare the have lamb shears? No, like- they're just hanging on the wall. Next, They've been hanging there for years. Uh. I was just like, that's not lamb shear. That's not how lamb... They, they don't work like regular scissors. They, they, they're one piece. You know how you hold scissors with your fingers, right? And clip with your finger. I can't believe that this is a discussion that the Gravity Falls has taken. But these <laughs> are sort of like a spring. They're more like a spring in the middle. So you hold them with your whole hand when you when you do when you're when you're shearing that here we'll do the whole like AMSR when you're shearing the sheep 
<laughs> you, it just, it's just a lot smoother motion, and and you don't like you you would destroy your fingers trying. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> there we go. Hope. And like, and like, I bet you decade... weren't expecting that in the show. No, it wasn't. And like our decade of knowing each other, I never knew you had like lampshades just hanging on you your didn't wall. Know I played banjo till a week ago. Shut up! I did know that. I just forgot. Because as soon as I was like, oh yeah, he does play banjo. I did know that. And then I was like, man, I feel dumb. I didn't know. Although I don't but... have a banjo within reach, I'd reach over and be like, <laughs> every time uh, Old Man McGecky comes up, you have to do a banjo solo. <laughs> I got to get my banjo strung up because I would do that. That would be fun. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> so a good chunk of my notes are actually about Gideon. <laughs> Um, and kind of what we already started talking about. So as we get into the story, the themes and the characters of the episode, as I was saying in the top of this, like, I love how they take the nice guy persona and they put it, they twist it and put it on its head because Gideon is coming across as the nice guy. And he, he opens with like, let's be friends and do makeovers. And Mabel's like, cool, right. I have no girls in my life. But then we see how he actively manipulates her and puts her in so many uncomfortable positions to the point where she can't disagree and she can't get out of it and she feels bad for leaving. And that that is very relatable because, hell, I've been in that position where you just feel I've like... I've been in that position. Every, yeah. I, think, I think it's a common... You see, that's what... Okay, that's what I was talking about earlier is this is a common theme in, like, shows that reach kids this age... You know, like old, like Saved by the Bell episodes and stuff like that. You know, whether it's cartoons or live action, just sort of on sitcoms or, you know, there'll be a story about a crush and not being able to, like, say no and, and it getting out of hand. But usually up till a certain point till we figured it out in society, I mean, the, the onus on these stories was always on the girl. And they set it up in this one, too, where it's just sort of like... You got to nip this in the bud and she sort of backs out of it and then has her brother tries to have her brother do the awkward work for her. And usually the the moral of this story in an old 80s or 90s or early 2000s sitcom would be like the whole moral would be like, look, when somebody's crushing on you, you got to let them know from right from the beginning and be and you got to you got to nip it in the bud. You can't you can't weaken or else it'll get too far and then it's a pain in the ass. But the guys would all usually be like Gideon. They would all be like kind of manipulative about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and he would I mean, leave out I... the part, the blame for the guy at the end. The guy would sort of be, he he would be sort of pathetic because he didn't see that she wasn't into him. But he would be kind of the victim because there was an element of he was being strung along by her not saying no. And and this one covers the like, no, you're being a jerk, man. And yeah. I mean, you, you covered about, like, three of my notes just now. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, I actually have the definition. Um, well, kind of, I, I paraphrase the definition. But the nice guy trope is usually played where you have a kind of, like, not muscular, beefy guy, but they're just nice. And they are crushing on a girl, and they try again and again to get with the girl. And the whole point is they eventually wear the girl down, and then he wins her like a prize. That is the nice guy trope. But what's really nice about this episode is they frame it in a way to where you see from the get-go that Gideon is in the wrong. Because Mabel was very clear 
multiple times. Like the very first time he asked her, he made sure to be. She was specific in saying like, in like one date, you know. Oh, and and even further than that, he's like, let's go on a date. She's like, a play date? No. A makeup date? No. A shopping date? No. And she's like, okay. (laughs) Oh God. And like they're very very clear about that. And I, I pulled a quote from an article. The the website that Mary Sue, uh, Vry Kaiser did a series of recaps for Gravity Falls, and their recap for this episode was a really nice paragraph that summed up how I felt about Mabel. And so I'm just gonna read it right fast. It isn't new territory to comment on Gideon's role here as the nice guy, a very specific brand of awful that has only begun to be torn down in any way in the last few years. But it bears repeating how relatable Mabel's plight is in this episode. In addition to being a compassionate person, she's been socialized to not make a fuss, to be accommodating in order to hold this friendship she values together, an onus that nobody thinks to place on Gideon. Every time she he pressures her pressures her for a date, she begins to co- uh, she begins with a concrete rebuke. Let's just be friends. You said one date, and this was it. That Gideon then wears her down, often by confronting her in front of others and pitting the situation so she seems cruel Mm -hmm. for refusing. If she refuses him, then she's mean. But if she goes out, uh, but she goes on without actually being interested, trying to preserve the friendship that she actually values, then she's leading him on. There is no winning for her. Yep. It was funny. I was just thinking about the other day. I don't know what brought it on. But how people use the word mean to get their own way. You know, how a lot of people use the word, you're being mean to me. Yeah. To, to mean you're not giving me my way. How come you're being mean to me? And and it works on a lot of a lot of times. <laughs> and and it's, it's so, I mean, he corners her in so many ways. Just, just the restaurant scene where she was like, this is our only date and this was it. And he's just like, oh, well, here's a bird to ask you out. And hey, everyone, come look at Mabel while I while we're here and then you actually have him going like people are expecting us mabel see all these people expecting us and she's just like ah because if she said no then she's the bitch in the situation right, and she's right. not she just wants to have a friend and i i just, I just find that so relatable because well we both said that like we both have been in that position uh that position like i remember i was dating this one guy in high school and he was not a nice guy but he pretty much guilted me staying with him so much longer because he pretty much was like, if you leave me, I'm going to hurt myself. And I had no way out. And finally, I had to be like, you know what? Okay, bye. And he's fine. He's still alive. He's married that's now. usually how that works. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's usually how that works. I saw him when I was still working in a comic book store and he came in. And I was just like, oh, I dodged that. But like, yeah, he was an abusive guy and he would gaslight me and manipulate me and force me to be in a situation that I didn't want to be in. But kind of a funny thing, because as we said in the top of this episode, we've been in Clone Wars hell slash heaven. There's a line from Gideon that reminded me so much of Anakin from episode three, when Anakin's like, you turned her against me, Obi-Wan. He actually looks at uh, Dipper and goes, you liar, you turned her against me. Yeah. And I was like, look, it's Anakin Skywalker. That's very, very, but that's very typical behavior of, of like, you know, I mean, basically you're, you're, you know, I mean, we're dealing with it as a little kid in a kid show, but he's a control freak. You know, that's the reaction of a control freak. He's mad at the brother because he's he's try, Gideon's trying to control her and he thinks the brother's control. He thinks it's a fight for control of he blames a person. Every, he blames everybody but himself. 
And I think that is ultimately, like, ultimately Gideon's problem is he's not willing to take blame upon himself. Well, and yeah, because he's lived in a house where he's <laughs> like he runs the house. You <laughs> have like that even... kid in the Twilight Zone TV show and the Twilight Zone movie with the the psychic powers, and everybody's like, "Oh, it's Anthony's birthday again." That's great. It's good that it's Anthony's birthday again. You know, his father's just like, "Oh, Gideon, Gideon changed his mind." Well, I guess I'm going with Gideon. You know, or you know, is I could buy and sell you. Well, okay then. You got me there. You know? <laughs> I love that line though that's such a good line i can like, buy it now you old man he's just like fair enough <laughs> <laughs> man you haven't even seen gideon's mother yet either <laughs> gideon's mother is a is even worse <laughs> let me guess let me guess day glow clown makeup tammy faye baker style no no i, I was thought she was going to be like the typical 80s evangelical wife type of preacher lady. That's what I would picture. Oh, well, we'll find out. That's say part that something... of the joy is watching Chris find out. <laughs> I know, I know. I will say something that I found interesting about Gideon. I'm kind of sort of on the fence whether or not this is a good or a bad thing because Steven Universe does a lot of this as well with the character of Steven, but they do it really well. And I think the difference is that Steven's a hero and Gideon's a villain, and that's where it's kind of on the fence for me. Because if this was the 50s through the 90s, probably up into the early, mid-2000s, Gideon would be coded as queer. Like, he would be gay as hell. Like, this, like he is queer-coded almost to a T. Like, he likes pink stuff and sparkles and makeup, and he cares about his hair. And he's like got if, a lisp. Yeah, and he's, like he's, he looks like a little tiny little 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 little, little, little bitty. Uh, man, my brain is is skipping like a robot trying to say little Liberace. <laughs> he's like a little <laughs> Liberace. It just yeah. started going little 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 it's really difficult. I feel you, man. <laughs> Little Liberace licked lemon libations. Like Gideon is a almost definition of what somebody coded as queer would be in early television shows. This is 2012 that it came out. And we're seeing him that he is a straight guy who also is not afraid to like do his hair, have a dressing room, wear makeup, wear perfume, and take care of himself. But it's it's still kind of, I think where it's icky, like I was saying, is that because Gideon is a villain, and I know you haven't seen Steven Universe yet, but then I turn and I look at someone something like Steven Universe. Steven wears pink. He's not afraid to put on a skirt and do a dance number. And it's all seen as everything is, everyone's fine with Steven doing this because it's just who he is. Everyone accepts it. It's fine. It's just part of Steven. But then you can look at Gideon doing the same thing, and everyone makes fun of him for it. And now the two shows are a few years apart. Steven Universe is a much more recent show, while Gideon, while um, Gravity Falls is 2012. And like that, that kind of like four to six year gap does matter because animation has come so far since 2012. And I think that's where it's nice to see the progression of where Gideon can do it. But he gets made fun of, so it's still kind of squeaky because he's getting made fun of of a, of a straight man liking girly things. And then see the advancement to where Steven Universe does it, and he's a hero, and everyone everyone's fine, and it's a celebrated part of himself. So I think it's more of a discussion of how 
why one is just a progression of animation of like how animation is still progressing as we go along through this is that does all that make sense oh yeah it'll make even more sense when i watch steven universe but, i know yeah. it's gonna make more sense when you watch steven universe so. but that's that's the majority of my notes on gideon everything else has to do with everybody else my next note was i really like different stan's role in this episode stan does briefly get swayed by blood bud gleeful but I love how before he gets swayed over by Bud, he is ready to fucking throw down for his niece. And he's just like, I'm gonna go down there, and I'm gonna take care of her, and he's, this guy, this yeah. sh- he actually says shyster, which I'm just like, yeah, that's how you get around that sensor. But, <laughs> but that's, that's also, that's also, like, a, a real typical dynamic of, like, a small-town frenemy relationship. They can be at each other's throats, but, like, if they find a common thing... Because they're very similar, so then all of a sudden they can be buddies, but it's always a tenuous thing. And the li- the little shyster line is a great one because that's a total adult joke. That's a to- it's like it, my brain immediately was tricked into he was going to say that little shit. Yeah, because because the I've... way it's pronounced, and it's just that little shyster, and I'm like, oh, that was a nice little. Uh, but it, it, but it was good. That was a joke. Like little kids ain't gonna get it. The only people that are gonna get it are the people that already automatically hear little shit in their head. <laughs> yeah, I I do like Stan's role in the, and I like how how you know he's still very Stan. Like the moment he hears cash and money, he's just like, yeah, I'll throw my niece under the bus. But he's still always willing to like be there for Mabel, and he gets the clown painting. He fucking steals it off the wall. <laughs> I've noticed. Stan was a main character, but he's still sort of kept on a leash a little bit. I don't know if that's going to change in the show, but he, like, I was thinking the focus might was going to be on all three characters, but it's it's more focused on the kids than I thought. Stan is always sort of like a background action for the kids. He's almost like a the second sto- second tier story in in most of these, and and he'll come out and and do something like you know he was sort of the focus of when they went fishing because you know his story was sort of but it was more like that was the second tier story once they got out there because they went they took off from him so it's weird i don't know if that's going to be like how they how the formula is through the whole show or or if stan's going to take more of a lead role as it goes on it's interesting that you say that chris anyway my next note is about dipper (laughs) i was just about to say but don't tell me hope yeah I'm not gonna say anything. So my next note is about Dipper. I also really like him in this role too, and it just continues to build the twin dynamic. And I, I think the moment that I like most about him is when he comes upstairs and he sees Mabel in Sweater Town, and he knows exactly how to coax her out of it. And he, he doesn't make fun of her for it. He doesn't think it's silly. Like he knows what Sweater Town means, and he knows that means that she's really, really upset. And he sits down with her and he talks with her and he's also willing to protect her. And I, I, I like seeing Dipper's patience because Mabel, as we've said already in this, in this podcast, she can be like, you know, the chaotic nature of this. And she at times can come off a little bit overbearing and at times grating. But he knows when to have those moments of, you know, like earlier in the episode, he was just like, you, you know, we do stuff together. Oh, my God, I got to blow up hot dogs with Zeus. Fuck Yeah. But then he knows when, like, when he sees that his sister is truly upset, like, he's he knows to sit down and coax her out of there gently and help her and protect her. And he was, gets on a fist fight with, with Gideon. He's willing to fight this tiny little boy 
for his sister. And I, I really love, I just love the twin dynamic. I think it's one of the best parts of the show. I think that's the core of the show so far, it seems like, is the, the relationship between the brother and the sister. Yeah. I, I will let you know that eventually they'll start going by the words mystery twins. So we can go ahead and start calling them the mystery twins if you need to. <laughs> mystery twins! <laughs> my only my only question with the two of them is, how did she know that they were at the factory when she went to uh, confront Gideon? You know, that was the only... Because he sort of, like, manipulated it so they would be alone to attack her brother, to attack Dipper. And uh, I was just like, oh, man, is she just going to ride out to the factory in, in a plot convenience? And she did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Some things have to move at the speed of plot. Yeah. And also, Toby determined getting Charla, whatever her name's number, was wonderful. <laughs> just like, her number! Meh. My my only other thing is, I do have one gripe about this episode. And it has to do with the Mabel and the Wendy talk about how about Wendy and breaking up with boys and Mabel breaking up with boys. And it's it's more of a Wendy gripe. Because earlier in the episode, Mabel specifically says to Dipper that she wishes she had a girl to do stuff with. And you have Wendy, who's part of the show and part of the cast. And Wendy didn't really do anything for that scene. They could have made it to where it was a really, really nice scene where Wendy actually, like, sat down and talked her through it and made that older sister connection with Mabel that Mabel was saying that she wished she had earlier in the episode. But instead, they played that scene off for laughs where Mabel oh. does all the work herself and Wendy's just rambling off boys. Uh, that That's still kind of very much a 2012 thing. Well, and I, 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 I thought it was kind of, well, I don't know what age Wendy's supposed to be. She's old. I, I think she's 16, if I remember Yeah, I'm taking it as she's she's older. She's had more boyfriends, and she's she was old and, older than Mabel enough to be in that, that really self-absorbed age. Mm-hmm. So it was like kind of typical for Mabel to talk about her problems. And then when it gets to Wendy, Wendy just starts talking about all the guys that she's had to break up with. It, it seemed typical. Like, the, the fact that it wasn't a connection is a little more realistic because sometimes it takes a little longer to connect and they're different ages. And I would think Wendy would be a little more, you know, a little more into that self-involved puberty world and boy craziness than Mabel. So she's sort of in a different place. Yeah. So that scene sort of illustrated that different place. So maybe it will, you know, maybe they won't be fast friends. Maybe that it'll take a while for them to find something that they, you know, relate on or to, to get Wendy out of her own world so she can relate to Mabel or something. Yeah, and it's a general gripe. I mean, I I know you're not aware of this. And from my opinion, it takes them a while to figure out how best to use Wendy. And it does, you know, Wendy does eventually come into her own and becomes very important. But it does take them time to figure out how best to use her. Yeah, but you can tell they want to because they've, they've got her there in the orbit of the main characters. And she's shown up, you know, we've, she's had, what, two? two scenes where so far right where she's two maybe three where she's just had a couple lines and stuff so they want to do something with her she's yeah she's there for some reason and and the next episode is the first episode where wendy is like really in the episode a lot Uh um but like it's really until season two where they're like this is wendy's purpose for the show and it it takes them a while and and that's probably my only real gripe because 
I, I, I do agree with what you're saying, that their age difference should, and honestly, Wendy is, is not her sister and not her mom, and she's not signing up to babysit them. Right, so, right. but And she did come out there on her own to sit down and make sure Mabel was okay, which is very nice. I just, I kind of wish they just did a little bit more with it, you know? Yeah, yeah you know, a 16-year-old might be worried about her being okay, and then go off on her later, own. Her, her brain's going somewhere else, yeah. But did you have any other uh, general notes about the story? Or the characters uh, or the themes? No, not really. Oh, an- another note, this little little minor notes. I thought uh, Gideon also looked a little bit like the TJ's big boy. Oh my god! That you see outside of TJ's big boy. I like that we had <laughs> we had uh, we had a uh, Seuss had a empanada, one of my favorite food items in this episode. I love empanadas. Snacking on an empanada. I thought the part where they plunged out of the building and were fighting each other was very Holmes and Moriarty. But, <laughs> you know, uh, that's what I thought that they were referencing Holmes and Mari- Moriarty, you know, falling and fighting each other as they fell to their doom. It, it, they, the only difference was they weren't falling off a waterfall, you know, or into a into a river gorge or whatever. I, I was wondering if maybe that was that was a little reference to uh, Sherlock Holmes. This gets into my predictions that uh, that Gideon is going to be like his foil, a, ru- a running foil for Dipper. You know, I mm-hmm. he is the Moriarty to Dipper's Holmes. I I wouldn't say you're too far off because now that you've laid it out there, yeah, like because Dipper very much is. I mean, hell, we saw last episode he fought Sherlock Holmes and he was just like, I'm a great detective. So, well, and also, and 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 also, Gideon is very like, very sort of Moriarty like with like, oh, you know, and this is him talking to you know, doing the little inter, not internal monologues, but the the little monologues to himself of like, ah, you think you know, but you shall see when when I enact my plan type stuff. So it's very very evil foil plotting in the in the wilderness type of thing so that's yeah i don't i don't think you're too far off i never just i never thought about it in that terms of them being like Holmes and moriarty but i i don't think you're i don't think you're too far off on that no i i really think about that so all right are you ready to get into your speculation and theories yes i am well i already i just got i just named one of them that gideon's going to be back and he's going to be sort of a a running foil and i have one to start you off on because Gideon has journal number two. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's my other one. Because I wrote that. I wrote down as soon as I saw, like, as soon as Gideon was like, oh, you know, like, uh, like halfway through the episode, I'm like, this guy's going to be a running gag. He's going to be like the bad guy. So I wrote that down in my predictions. And then I watched, you know, then I watched the rest of the show. And then he's got book two. And then I'm like, okay, for sure he's going to be a running foil now because here's what hopes, here, here's what, uh, Hope is talking about, and it's funny that you asked that. Hope typing on our uh, Google Docs document. Yeah, I just wanted uh, to make sure where, I didn't forget where to... I think journal number one is because that's my other prediction. I think Stan has book number one. Okay. I think Stan will have book number one, or maybe book number four if they want to be real tricky and funny about it. I will let you know. There's only three journals. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll but but right I think it's Stan will have it, and either he'll like be like, ah, now it's time to show them that I have the journal, or it's gonna be like, ah, I knew I had a book here that's like said number one on it, and it's like holding up a shelf or so, you know, or it's like under a table leg or something like that. 
it's either something he knows all about or is just something that he professor frank gave this to me before he disappeared what do you think gideon wants with the journals what everybody wants the answer and the power that comes with it because there's there's obviously some there, well, not obviously, but I, I would guess there's some sort of unifying reason why this town is a weirdo town. You know, old professor so-and-so built a, an electromagnetic tower that's that makes it halfway in between other dimensions. There's something that ties it all together, and that's what the books are for, to figure out what's somebody who either figured it out or was on their way to figuring it out. If it isn't anybody that we already know, we're going to meet the author someday. Interesting. That's all I can say. Interesting. That's all I would want you to say. <laughs> Alright, so on to part three, where it, we talk about the ciphers and the connections to previous episodes. And we have our first connection to a previous episode. So Gideon has actually already shown up. In the opening of The Legend of the Gobblewonker, when Dipper and Mabel are eating breakfast, Dipper is reading a paper where he sees the ad for the monster photo competition. On the back of the paper, there's an advertisement for Gideon's Tinta Telepathy, and you can actually see Gideon's face on the paper. Oh. Yeah! That, little things like that, man. Little things like that. There's actually something running in every single episode that we will get to. And I'm, I'm waiting to see if, whether or not you start noticing it or not. <laughs> and finally, the cryptogram at the end of the credits for this episode, once it's decoded, reads, Carla, why won't you call me? And Carla was mentioned at the end of the Tinted Telepathy commercial when it's running through the disclaimer. And it's like, Carla, I always had feelings for you, but I never had enough time to commit it, to, to tell you. I was never brave enough to tell you. And it's in the actual disclaimer, which is what the cryptogram is referring to. Is this a nice little self-contained joke? Yeah, they, they have a couple of those, so... Yeah, they're rewarding the people who put the work in. <laughs> Are you surprised to know that Gideon was in episode two in a tiny way? Now that I know what kind of show it is, I'm not. But, I mean, it means that they had it planned out, obviously, which, well, I mean, you have to to do an animated show like this. But, yeah, I'm not too surprised, but I'm going to be paying more attention to newspapers and signs and stuff. <laughs> from this point forward <laughs> yep yep there's there's something else i'm waiting to see if you noticed it or not because it'll be fun to get to all right well did you have anything else for the hand that rocks the maple no i liked it i i, I thought it was a good episode it might be it might be i still the gnomes are my favorite thing but this this one i like because it is it is going into a it is setting things up for the future more and it's you can you can see it that they're, they're gonna step up the the complex i you know i don't think they're going to get super complex with the show but they're going to make it more of a ongoing story as it as it goes ahead I'm, I'm i'm very interested to to see where it goes my my final thoughts on the episode is to me this is where Gide uh, gravity falls started stepping up from good to great um i like v gideon as a villain cuz it adds another layer and it's a new threat for the show as well and especially knowing that he has journal number 2 I really love Mabel's story in this episode, and it's a good episode for little girls, and, and actually boys too, because you've gone through this as well, about toxic relationships. I like both Dipper and Stan's roles in this episode as well. The only real complaint I have is Wendy, but Wendy is kind of a mild complaint I have until they really figure out what to do with her. 
And another thing about uh, Gideon as a villain is it's a it's another layer of villain because he's like an un, a, a looming villain, which we haven't had yet. We've had just like every week there's some there's a monster or you know something that's the quote villain or bad guy or or the the conflict of the show, but now we have somebody who's just like there who's actively against our characters. So that makes it automatically more interesting. That means you always have a threat. As always, I would love to take a moment to thank my amazing patrons, Billy, Lynn, Patrick, Bree, Alex, Kate, and Heather. Your support means the world to me. I can't do this without you. You guys just mean so much to me. Thank you so much for your continued support. And I love you guys so, 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 so much. Thank you. Well, that's all I have, too. So where can people find you, Chris? You can find me at 2TrueFreaks.com, our website, obviously. And you can uh, sign up for our SS feeds there, iTunes. You can see us also on Facebook. We've got the 2 True Freaks podcast page and the 2 True Freaks cantina. And we are on Twitter, of all places, at Two True Freaks on Twitter, run by Gene Gene, the podcasting machine. Do, 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 do. Gene. Gene. Is that the first time we've done that on the show? I think it is. Oh. Do, 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 do. Gene. That's something from J Guys and Jedi Guys. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Now we find out what Gene's really made of. Because Gene listens to every podcast. But now this one's behind a paywall, Gene. Can you get through the paywall, Gene? I don't know. We'll find out, Gene. <laughs> be nice to Gene. <laughs> I am being nice to Gene. He might not even be here, so this well, is how we find out. <laughs> that is true. Gene, if you're listening to this, leave a comment so I know. <laughs> oh, he will. He will. I know he will. Well, you can find me at geekygirlexperience.com. Of course, this is the Patreon-exclusive podcast for that website. And where I write reviews and all sorts of things. Well, by the time this episode's come out, it's post May the 4th, but I'm planning a lot of stuff for May the 4th, which is Star Wars, because that's I'm a Star Wars slut, it's fine. You can also find me at Hope Molinex on Twitter. I run our J Guys and Jedi Twitter, so if you're a fan of that show, you can find us at J Guys and Jedi. And I also write fan fiction on Archive of Our Own under the name Chaos Lydia. Um, I just finished working on a collaboration piece with my friend June. And it's a Star Wars piece about Callus and Zeb. And I wrote the story and she did the artwork for it. And it looks great. So, yeah. All right, you guys. Well, join us next time where we're going to be talking about the inconveniencing. Any Ooh. thoughts about the inconveniencing? I like the title. That's all I know. <laughs> all right, you guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Man, every time we do a speculation segment, I'm either just nodding or shaking my head. <laughs> just silently, just like... Good thing we're not doing video, mm. yeah. I know. Oh, God. If we were doing video, this would be so much harder to not spoil you about things. Because <laughs> there are certain things that I'm just, like, shaking my head at, and then there are other things I'm just, like, smiling wide like a loon. Yeah, no, you'd have to get one of those creepy expressionless ma face masks and... <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs>
Patreon is a great way for you to support this podcast and my website, Geeky Girl Experience, with multiple tiers of content that you can choose from. If you become a patron, you'll get your name shouted out in the episodes, as well as my never-ending gratitude. You can sign up today at www.patreon.com slash geekygirlexperience. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time, and I love you guys. Bye!